Welcome to the AD Esthete. I'm Mitch Owens, Decorative Arts Editor of AD. British illustrator and designer Luke Edward Hall is the man of the moment, a leading light among young creatives who are putting a whimsical stamp on the world around us. His tongue-in-cheek classicism, used to lively effect on fabrics, fashion, china, and more, owes much to legendary talents such as Cecil Beaton and Jean Cocteau, but it is recognizably Luke's own. Join me and Luke as we discuss his meteoric rise, his passion for mythology, and his juggling of projects large and small, among them his most ambitious, the decoration and branding of a boutique hotel in Paris that opens this spring. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that you're here today, Luke. I was thinking about you this weekend when I was bravely painting my dressing room pink. Oh, brilliant. Which, it is a brilliant color. And it happens Sunset Coral by Benjamin Moore, in case you're interested. Oh, it sounds delicious. I know that pink's a color of yours as well. I was going through your Instagram today, almost 100,000 followers, and trying to see what was um, up in the last few days that caught my eye and everyone else's. And I thought... I wanted to give a tiny list and um, ask you a little bit. Um, a shocking pink 1920s magazine cover, Gladys Marlborough's eyes painted on the portico at Blenheim. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Robin's egg blue candlesticks, one with a lilac candle and one with a pink candle. Yep. A 16th century dragon in an illuminated manuscript. And then uh, to top it off, a uh, a peach-colored Art Deco room that was published in A.D. some years ago, I think A.D. What I love about your Instagram is that you are clearly hitting a nerve with people, and I'm wondering what it is that you found an audience hungry for. Obviously things that interest you, but, but why do you think they're gravitating to what you find beautiful? Um, I mean, I think it's always quite tricky to say, really, because I sort of, my Instagram is very personal and I kind of, you know, for me, it's about putting out my work and also my inspiration and, you know, just snapshots of things I'm up to. Mm -hmm. um, but I think maybe there is, the th it's very colorful and very eclectic. And I think maybe that appeals to people and lots of refer references to things from the past, perhaps. I'm wondering if that's that's sort of that's a really uh, interesting thing for me because I know that a lot of your inspirations or people from the past that you admire mm. were the same people that sort of caught my eye and any number of eyes when we were all I don't know 13 14 you know Cecil Beaton Stephen mm -hmm. Tennant um, that sort of bright young people mm -hmm. world and so much of your creative output takes me back to that moment but in a, a really fresh way and mm. I'm wondering what about that period or those people mm. inspires you or, or excites you um, well that's nice to hear I mean I think Cecil Beaton is one of my heroes um, and I've been kind of obsessed with his circle for such a long time and I think I think it's just the overall kind of that kind of period that I that I love because it was it was so sort of glamorous and creative and I guess that kind of interwar period between the wars is right. such a kind of fascinating time, Be you know, before everything kind of went terrible again because of the Second right. World War. So it was kind of this kind of golden moment. It's a golden moment of 
whimsy and mm. color and I mean it's suddenly it's such a, a amazing break from say painter's sergeant I mean that sort of early Edwardian yep. heavy moment suddenly there's this lightheartedness yeah um, and sense of fun and so many incredible characters I mean Stephen Tennant is one of my sort of obsessions and um and I think it's also fascinating because there's only so much you can find out about them mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I've sort of read all the biographies I can read and I you know have seen all the pictures I can see and I'm sure there are archives of other photographs but um I think it's sort of fascinating that you can only kind of do you know what I mean? It's quite hard to find mm. out about them sometimes. And so, it's, yeah, it's kind of piecing together their story from reading books and reading biographies. And uh, But, yeah, but people, people, you know, people are still fascinated with them. I mean, there's an exhibition coming up, I think, at the um, National Portrait Gallery oh. about the bright young things. Really? Mm. Yeah. But it is, it's interesting because you, you, you can take that group, their own creative output, and even if you don't know anything about them or anything about the period, mm. you get the the flavor of what was exciting the young at the time mm. and offending the old yeah. at the same on the same basis. I suppose it's all of Cecil Beaton's images, you know, of mm. that time, which is so incredible, you know, of Stephen Tennant with his kind of black leather trench coat and um, amazing hair and earrings and football mm. shirts. It's kind of which, which, which gives you the idea that nothing's, that there's nothing really new. I mean, when we mm. look back at that, we would sort of see Stephen Tennant perhaps walking down the street today and well, maybe exactly. not turn around or maybe just as exciting now as it was then. Yeah. No, it's really crazy, I think, sometimes to sort of read about that period and see those photographs and remember that that was the 20s and 30s. And it was really transgressive. Yeah. But but interestingly, what I like about it, what I think about a lot when I see your work, it looks whimsical, it looks fun, it looks lighthearted, but at the same time, there's this underpinning of really serious history Mm. and a real searching desire to go back into time yep. and put it through a new lens. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, with Cecil Beaton, for example, as well, I think his kind of work ethic has always been very inspiring to me because, you know, yeah, it looked it looked like it was all sort of fun and games, but actually he was there sort of working really hard to kind mm-hmm. of make that all happen. I mean, I'm not sure how much of a sort of nice person he, he, he was. Right. But um, I think his, well, maybe, you know, it's just hard to say, but I think his... Yeah, his his kind of work ethic I find very inspiring. Well, and, and it's true because he he did so many things yep. all at once. Yeah, and and like you said, seemingly with a great deal of ease. You know, an ability to turn from decorating interior to decorating a stage play to mm. sketching the fashionable women of London. Yeah, and in in you opened your studio a little more than four years ago, mm-hmm. and. You've hit the same stride already, I think, that he was, that was happening with Beaton. Yeah. At, at more or less the same age. At a well, I think definitely what's been really inspiring for me as well is I've had moments of sort of thinking I should focus on one thing mm-hmm. or do one thing in particular. And, in, and, you know, especially when I was a bit younger and when I sort of, in the first couple of years of setting my thing up, I used to think like that. And then often I would kind of remind myself that my heroes are people like Beaton and Rex Whistler and Oliver Messel mm-hmm. and, you know, all of those guys who were, who were, yeah, kind of doing lots of different stuff at once. And actually that it's okay to be like that. And um, it, you don't have to necessarily focus on one thing and you can kind of have a go. I know. it's. Am- I mean, that's what I like so much is that, you know, you've, you've done designs for clothes like rowing jackets. It's, oh, rowing blazers. Thank you, rowing blazers. Rowing blazers. You've done um, China for Janori. You've done posters and interiors. And it's it's amazing to me how easily the, sh- the shift is from two-dimensional to three-dimensional to 
and it's all of a piece. It all feels the same mind, the same hand. Well, I hope so, because I think that is the sort of tricky thing sometimes is to still keep a kind of cohesive universe together. Mm. But I mean, also, it was kind of that's just what happened. I mean, when I when I set my thing up and started working by myself, I kind of, you know, took the jobs that came along and um, and they were just very wide ranging. So Mm. without, you know, without really even thinking about it, um, I I started doing illustration projects, uh, a bit of interior design and then started collaborating with people. And it kind of just happened like that in that in that mm. way but, but that's always what I wanted as well you know when I started working by myself I kind of wasn't exactly sure what I'd end up doing and I still don't have a proper plan I mean there's, mm. but that's that's kind of um what was always fun about it and what is still fun about it is that there is sort of no no overall plan but it's um you know seeing what kind of comes up and and trying things out really well those very fertile relationships and partnerships that you've um had through the thread of your career thus far. I mean, I, I, I love very much what you did for Janori mm. last year. I thought it was a really, really beautiful collection. Thank you. Because I thought that it, it really set forth your great interest in classicism mm. and ancient Greece and Rome. And I was wondering if we could, if you could expound on that a bit, mm. um, why that is such a strong um, component. Well, I think... Um I think with classicism, it's kind of been a, a major theme of my work since I kind of started doing my stuff. Uh, and I think, I mean, I've been thinking about this recently, actually, and why, why that, why that's so. And I think it's it's kind of three things, really. I think I was sort of very obsessed with Greek and Roman mythology when I was a child, and I loved all those stories because, you know, they're, they're full of love and death and magic and monsters, and they're brilliant you know, for, for children, I, and I love them, and I, that kind of stayed with me. And then I think the sort of second thing, as as I was growing up, realizing I was gay, discovering um, art and, and, and seeing paintings and postcards and all those incredible Greek vases and sculpture, mm. of course, you know, you gravitate towards that. Right. And then I think uh, the third thing is I did fashion design at university. And when at I, Central St. Martin's, mm, yes. And when I graduated, I pretty much went to work for an architect and interior designer, Ben Pentreath, straight away. And I didn't really have any uh, background in the interiors or architecture, but I kind of, even though I was working in interiors, I, I began to learn things about classical architecture and order of columns and pediments mm-hmm. and all that. And I think that kind of opened my eyes to classical architecture. And then when I started making my first things, I mean, I started doing embroidered cushions um, and designing fabrics. That was kind of the first thing I, I started making for the home anyway. And was that because they were a, a, a smaller, easy, more easily yeah. accessible um, medium? Pretty much. I mean, I was working for Ben and I was kind of, I knew that I wanted to sort of set my thing up and do something. Um, I mean, I've been making things since I was a sort of teenager, but I was... What? What did you make? Well, I used to, I mean, probably, well, when I was 15, 16, I um, made a fanzine called Cake. Um, that was a kind of, uh, I used to put it together with my a group my group of best friends and would all contribute kind of, um, it was mainly kind of music, fashion, art, and my friends would contribute sort of fake diary entries. It was very teenage and sort of, <laughs> and sort of DIY, but I loved making it. My dad would photocopy it um, at work and then I would give it out um, and I sold, sold it. What was the circulation? Like, what was it? Uh, thousands. <laughs> but it was great fun. And I did that for, I mean, I did that for maybe like four or five years. But I, and then when I first moved to London, I would sell it in, shops um but it was it was literally like sort of 
10 sheets of paper. I love that paper. your father would photocopy it at work. Yeah. That's pretty worked, wonderful. That's, that's a very supportive... When, when he couldn't do it, my grandma would do it. She'd do it at work. And I was always, you know, I used to paint T-shirts and sell them, like, when I was in New York. I was always making stuff like that. But when I, when I was thinking about doing something seriously, I was either going to do something with menswear or with the home. And because I was working for Ben, right. and I thought maybe this is actually the direction I'm going to go in, I started with, um, with yeah, fabrics and cushions. And, yeah, because they're small and kind of you know, any, sort of a, an easy way to start. And a lot of the motifs I was playing around with were classically inspired. And So already that mythological mm. vocabulary. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, ionic columns and, and statues and uh, Greek key. It was all kind of alluding to that world that I had been fascinated with since I was a child. Really. Mm. Did you have a favorite mythological character? Or mm, I think Orpheus is my favorite character, just because I love that kind of... The, I love the way that he was able to enchant trees and plants and animals mm. with his music. Um, but all of the, all, I mean, to be honest, all of the kind of, you know, because there are so many amazing homosexual kind of tales, Achilles and Patroclus and Orpheus as well, Ganymede. Mm. Um, but the imagery is so fantastic. And I think that's why I've kind of gravitated towards it as well, because when I'm painting a vase or, you know, thinking about a mural, I mean, the imagery is so fantastic mm. and so inspirational. Um, so, I, yeah, that's why I'm kind of often turning back to this myths and legends they're really wonderful i always liked the um minotaur yeah i love the story of the minotaur is my favorite as a child mm. I, I just thought it was scary and amazing and really practical yeah um, in that way of, of you know trying to the, the thread and the yarn and everything it was wonderful and it's interesting because it's the same thing so many of your heroes mm. were Again, whether it's Beaton, whether it's Dorothy Draper, whether it's mm. um, St Stephen Tennant, that whole world, there's always this, this thread of a real appreciation for classicism, for mythology, for that storybook. Mm. And the same with Cocteau, you know, who is right. one of my big heroes. And I mean, I read a great book last year that's called The Seduction of the Mediterranean, and it's basically about why so many um, well, gay artists, mm -hmm. writers are... Um, are drawn to the Mediterranean, which is kind of fascinating. But yeah, a lot of the people I look up to similarly were kind of inspired by those mm -hmm. things. And it's interesting when you when you when you talk about um, you know gay artists and designers being a, a, attracted to that. There's even then, even during the time of Beaton, people have must have understood and seen it as transgressive mm. in some fashion. I think it's also interesting that idea of because homosexuality was a crime, you know, for a long time the way of kind of like sculpture and uh you know paintings of saint sebastian and things mm. they were kind of a vehicle for desire i suppose right whilst it was encoding mm, yeah basically you know, so it, it's it, you know there's the group that doesn't understand it and the group that does exactly and that's sort of what i loved i know when you and i were talking last year about the line for um Genori, how mm. They were completely open to the whole layering of exactly. what mythology means on on multiple mm. layers and multiple viewpoints. Well, yeah, and you know, when it was so great to work with Genora, and I, I loved it. And at the beginning, we were talking about you know different themes we could look at, and the sea was kind of one that they were quite interested mm -hmm. in, and um, and shells and, and all those kind of motifs. And then I was sort of like, well, actually, you know, can I bring in some some Greek gods, Roman gods? So that's why it became this thing about Neptune mm -hmm. and his kind of voyage through the sea. But it's been great. I mean, a lot of the uh, companies that I worked with, I've ended up being able to bring in mythology. And mm. um, I mean, I did a collection for Sphinx 10, who I'm such a huge fan of last That's year. That's such a great company. Oh, they're so I brilliant. Mean, really extraordinary. 
And they're so great. And what's so fab about them is, you know, I went to visit them in Stockholm and they have no desire. I mean, they used to sell. They used to sell in Liberty and I'm sure they sold in New York and stuff. But now they won't sell anywhere. They'll only sell from there. I mean, online, but they'll only sell from their shop in, um, right. in Stockholm, which is such a great kind of, you know, when in, a, in, in the world in the, the world now when everyone's expanding and they're very happy to be sort of in there. Right. You have to space. go to that spot. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like... Um, Sort of why companies like Colfax, mm. the decorating division, didn't you know expand beyond mm. their London footprint. If you wanted them, you had to go there. You had to go there exactly. Yeah, so sort of specialty. Can you tell me a bit about the Spence Ten work? Well, we did. We worked on a collection of our of designs for cushions um, that we also turned into trays, um, and I called the collection Endymion after the um, handsome shepherd and king. So I was looking at that kind of tale uh, for that. But I also, what else did I do, do for them? I also did a lot of hand-painted ceramics. Mm. Um, and also hand-painted, it was quite interesting really because we did this printed stuff, printed cushions and trays. But then I, they also gave me a lot of lampshades and they uh, canvas sort of bags um, and lamp sh- and uh, cushions mm. and I hand-painted them. So it was a kind of... And you hand-paint mm. all of them. I mean, what, like how does it work with Genora? You can't well, they're obviously printed. paint everything, but you're, those are printed. Those are printed, yeah. So, I mean, it's what's nice is... I, I make my own ceramics anyway uh, with a, um, a guy up in Scotland mm-hmm. um, and they're hand painted and I, I make one off pieces to commission um, or sometimes for, for uh, exhibitions or things like that. But then what's great is to, to work with a company like Genori who mass produce but in a really mm-hmm. nice, nice way. I mean, right. you know, it is produced in a factory, but, you know, in an, an incredible way with, a, with amazing techniques. Um, so I kind of enjoy that kind of balance in my work mm. because I don't want it to be all about, I mean, I love doing exhibitions and I love painting and drawing and making these one-off ceramics, but I also, I love, I love making products as well. So it's sort of nice to be able to do mm. both. I, I fell so in love with your interior sense when you did that private dining room at Masterpiece London. Was oh, thank t- you. Like yeah. two years ago? It was, yeah. That was a fantastic 17. space because it was for, for, Listeners who didn't know about it, it was um, a very boldly, widely striped yes. room. Was it blue, blue and white or green and white? It was kind of the whole color theme was lilac and sort of um, acid lime and green. With the pink tented ceiling. It had a kind of, in one of my own fabrics, which is a kind of dotty pink and red tented ceiling, and then green and white striped wallpaper. I think a lilac floor or maybe a lime green floor. But it was great because that was a kind of, you know, it was a, it was a, uh, a pop-up restaurant for mm-hmm. the art fair. It was only going to be around for a week or two, so they were really open to me doing something fantastical. I wish they'd saved it. I know. Uh, and, and, because it was, and then you had the white painted um, consoles with the exactly. great volutes. So, the, um, I mean, the idea was it was kind of supposed to be a kind of, um, because I think it was July, it was supposed to be inspired by a kind of English country house. Mm. So um, we had this kind of fake, I mean, it was all fake, a fake sort of light box to give the impression of an open uh, door. And then I borrowed... Um, amazing kind of William Kent-esque consoles from right. from a dealer and um, and prints and things uh, for the walls. But it was, yeah, it was great fun. But I remember being there with our editor-in-chief, Amy Astley, and we pulled the curtain back. And I, the look of delight on her face to see that space was amazing. And I, I think that's sort of what I always get out of your Instagram and your products is this sense of real joy, not only to see it, but to own it, to pick it up, to, um, I always feel like that seems to be the reaction you would like people to have as Mm. delighted as you are in creating it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of my work is definitely about that kind of sense of playfulness 
and color is such a huge thing in my work and i think color has a lot to do with optimism mm. really so yeah and a fantasy i mean i want my work to be a kind of fantasy and i i, I love that at the art fair at masterpiece you know you're in this very serious art fair and then you'd pull back the curtain and there'd be this kind of crazy brightly colored um whimsical room right and i think that's kind of how i see my work progressing is is um is yeah about offering a kind of fantasy because the world can be so grim and bleak and i think you know i want to kind of add in a bit of fun and playfulness i suppose and a bit of escape yeah that's also that interwar mm. period moment of coming out of the horrors of the first world war before we went into the horrors of the second exactly and you have this moment where everyone just wants to be happy yeah exactly. or at least a certain group of people want desperately to be happy mm. and, and are experimenting and fantasies and, yeah yeah, you're right. You said experimentations. Mm, exactly. So can we talk a bit about the projects you're working on now? I know you have a hotel mm. that's coming up, which I'm really excited about in Paris in the Thank 10th you. arrondissement. Very exciting. And this is your first hotel, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is what's quite funny, really, is I, um, you know, I, I, I worked with Ben and worked in interiors for a couple of years and learned a lot. But since then, I've not really done... I've, mo I've mostly been doing you know, my artwork, illustration, collaborations, and then the odd pop-up interior, mm -hmm. like Masterpiece. But I haven't really done, I haven't even really done a full house because often, you know, when people ask, I've been waiting for the right kind of project, I think. And the hotel was such a fun one because I was approached to do it and it's doing the interiors. And it's a it's a small hotel. It's, it's, like, it's, a, it's like a 19th century building. Exactly. Like a classic. Stories well, six, it's actually six or seven. It? It's okay. 33 bedrooms, six or seven mm. stories. Your classic kind of Parisian corner right. hotel um, and, and a bistro opposite. But my job is was to do the interiors, but also to kind of art direct it. So I've been in charge of um, the branding and the, you know, the logos and stationery, uniforms, all of that stuff. Which Bringing is, all your talents into one well, it's so fun to me, for me because that's that's kind of what I love doing is, well, I love the idea of creating a full experience. And, you know, yes, I love interiors, but I do also, I, know I love typography and I love graphic design. I mean, that's what I thought I was going to do originally was graphic design and, and bringing and, and fashion. I studied fashion. So bringing mm -hmm. all of those things together. Um, and that's why I love hotels, because I feel like when you go to a great hotel and you walk through the door, you know, you kind of enter into this special universe where everything has been so considered. Mm. A good hotel, anyway. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it's a sort of... We've had to be creative in terms of spending money and things like that. So it's a lot of bright, bright, brightly colored paint mm. and tiles. But I think, you know, that's that's been that's what's also been quite fun is the challenge of how do you make a special experience without kind of having, you know, an enormous, enormous budget. Right. But it's been it's been so much fun. And yeah, hopefully it'll be open in April. April? Mm. Okay, we're, we're, I'm really looking forward to that because it's probably going to be so lionized. Oh, by right. people. I saw one maquette online of watercolor, I suppose. Mm, mm. It may have been in your Instagram of a bedroom. Yeah. And I thought, that's where I want to stay. I, oh. I, and I remember it being very dis very distinctively your palette. It was, you know, there was pink and green and lilac and a splash exactly. of yellow. And it was it was happy. And what's great is, is, is amazingly, the owner has been very um, supportive and let me kind of go crazy because what I wanted to do I mean the idea behind it was to make it look like it always it has always been there mm. and was kind of owned by a sort of crazy artistic Parisian bohemian so we've kind of got you know in the in the bedrooms there are kind of bedside tables inspired by French empire you know kind of ebonized and gilt a little mm. but then we've also got white tulip tables and little acid yellow uh, fringed chairs and then geometric carpets that mm. look very kind of 1970s -y. so 
yeah, I'm really glad that they've be, they've kind of been brave with color and pattern. I also saw that you're you're also working on a fabric line. Is this correct? There's a well. Is it coming forward? Is it just some ideas for fabrics? Just some, um, well, I've kind of always been making fabric, just by myself, mm-hmm. um, fabrics. But uh, uh, I am making some new ones at the moment. But the other project is uh, I'm doing a, a, uh, an apartment here in New York, oh. um, which is fun. It's kind of a marketing apartment, so it's a sort of show okay. apartment in a new building. But that's been really fun as well because it's been fun to kind of interpret my kind of style for a sort of New York uh, apartment. Um, so I'm, but for that, I'm I'm kind of having fun designing some fabrics, and I'm doing a wallpaper and a few other bits and pieces, a sort of bar cart and a coffee table, and I want to do some embroidery of drawings on things. So that's been really fun. Very broad, very broad. Well, but I like that. I like I like the idea that it's it almost it, sometimes it feels to me as if you somebody either you you bring it up to yourself or someone approaches you with an idea and you think about it and say why not yeah why not try this well I think that's what's you know what's fun and I think you know with an interior like working on the ap- apartment here in New York it's sort of it's kind of a a great space as well to to experiment with things that I that are floating around in my head mm-hmm. and, and because a lot of my work is focused around drawings and things. It sort of makes sense when I'm looking for a wallpaper or a fabric to just kind of make it myself. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to have these those two main projects at the moment to kind of really experiment. And, and well, and your book has been successful too. That's that came out last year. Exactly. Last year? Yeah, last autumn. Mm. I mean, I wasn't even you know I wasn't really thinking about doing a book, and Tenoy as the publisher approached me, and they were really sort of interested in doing a kind of a kind of career-to-date book. You know, it was just a really fun project. I had such a great editor, and uh, the designer who, who designed it was fabulous, and it was really fun. And I also, you know, I put in things from when I was at school, at university, and so it, it feels like a nice sort of little snapshot of stuff I've done so far. Where you were, where you are now. Mm, exactly. But where you won't be in a year. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it sounds like it's going to be so much more, it would be so dated already within a year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I also feel like it's a good time, you know, I, it's, it's a lot of pastel colors, which I love and loved, but I also think, you know, you kind of feel sometimes like, okay, I'm ready to move on to try something else. What do you think you're going to move into? Are you already... A monochrome. Monochrome. Black and white. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think monochrome. No, not monochrome. I can't imagine monochrome with you. When you were talking earlier about the hotel and it being a, a, a whole experience, I know that Dorothy Draper... American decorator of the basically the 30s and 40s and some of the 50s as well really thought the same way and when you see the hotels that she designed Mm. you walk through the door and you know you've never stepped into anything like that in your whole life and I I think that's sometimes I feel like hotels uh, interiors don't really do that as much I mean as as a as a cookie cutter luxury Mm. as opposed to a finite experience that you can only get at that place when you open that door. Yeah. Well, we, I went to, um, last year I went to the Greenbrier uh, in West Virginia, and it was sort of like I had a kind of out-of-body experience. It was so fabulous, and I, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, I'd, I love Dorothy Draper's work, and I'd, I'd only seen you know images of it. So it was so fantastic to see it in real life because it was like walking into a kind of crazy stage set. Mm. Which is kind of what I like. I mean, I, I like things to have, like we were talking about before, a bit of fantasy. What I was, what I liked about being in there was when you you could almost imagine that you'd touch one of the columns and it would kind of be made of plaster and fiber, right. but kind of fab. And I, I mean, I just love her work. I love those kind of big black and white stripes and the and the um, checkerboard floors. But the way she mixed 
different prints together. It was fantastic. But yeah, I think I think you know that's what I we were saying about hotels. I love a kind of that sort of singular experience that you get where everything is so considered. And that hotel, I mean, that's fantastic because it had, um, you know, it's got the kind of crazy casino in the basement. Right. And restaurants and a, an amazing kind of tented swimming pool. I mean, it was, you could spend, well, I guess people do because it's a kind of resort. So people right. go there for sort of a week and just... There's a, a hotel up in Albany called Gideon Putman. Putnam. Okay. And she did that um, during the Second World War. And there's a little bit of her left there, but there's like one room with, you know, Robin's egg blue you know, two foot wide stripes mm. um, with with hand painted botanicals and frames Amazing. all around, and then this gigantic um, black and white marble squares on the floor. So, fab. so it really is like a stage set. You walk in and you're you're looking for the audience. Yeah, but it was, it was kind of funny because I sort of felt like when we were there, we were the kind of only ones. Like I was with Duncan and our friends Austin and Spencer, and we, we I felt like we were the kind of the only ones that were fully appreciating it. Right. You know, there's a lot of people. Um, I guess there for tennis and the swimming pool and who were just walking around and not like looking at anything whereas we were kind of going into each room and, and kind of gasping at how crazy and over the top it was. And again, an experience that you don't have to live in all the time. Yeah. You know, it's just, I mean, that's sort of what's really exciting. I love, that's why I, you know, I love going to people's houses no matter how extreme they are. Mm. It, it's it's something I, I really want to explore like the way a hotel is. I just want, like I'd love to be able to step into some of those David Hicks yes. rooms. Yeah. You know, whether I could live with the jarring uh, colors is is one th- is another thing. I do altogether. wonder about that because I mean David Hicks is another huge inspiration. I mean I, I you know I love his crazy incredible way of mixing those incredible bold geometric carpets mm-hmm. with those really brooding kind of uh, bold color palettes, you know, the magenta and uh, tangerine and chocolate brown. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's sort of, would you want, uh, would you want to live with it every day? I'm not sure. But I mean, they, as a as well, Maybe not at high noon, but in the evening, yes. with low lights, oh, then it would yeah. be very beautiful. Well, he was so good at doing that kind of nighttime, nightclub-y kind of... Uh, and I think that's, uh, in, in terms of interior design, I think that's a, something people tend to forget when they're decorating a house or decorating a hotel or anything like that, that not every room is supposed to be enjoyed at high noon. Exactly. You know, there are rooms that are really only meant for after dark. That look better in the evening. Yeah, yeah for sure. We had the opposite. We, we painted our apartment in London pink last year, a year before, and I was sort of desperate not to do a millennial pink mm-hmm. shade. So I was sort of like, I want Barbie, I want Barbie pink, <laughs> super intense. And we painted it and it was um kind of okay in the daytime and then in the evening with lamps on it was absolutely terrible it was like being in a sort of highlighter pen really it was horrendous and we, we kind of convinced each other that it was fine and we were sort of like oh it's great we love it and then after three days we we, we, we said we had to repaint it we couldn't we couldn't take it any longer it was awful. what did you repaint it a softer pink millennial pink basically millennial. um <laughs> which is a, well, no it's a sort of nice a kind of dusty dusty quartz but yeah it kind of proves that some some shades definitely work better and i've always wanted a pink sitting room and so you've I've just never, done that I've never, no I've never managed to do it I instead I, I did um, a wallpaper that's it's like a chintzware so it's, it's just all flowers all oh, over the place and then everything in the room is basically upholstered in flowers oh, heaven. but all sort of same scale same color oh, I love that look as same well. palette but not the same not the same fabric sort of inspired by a, a several rooms from, you know, Dion Vreeland's yep. living room to um, the Mario Boada's room for the Theodora Coppolis's. Because he, it wasn't that his sort of thing of kind of mixing so many florals no. at once. I figured, yeah, it, it, they'll all work together mm. eventually. Um, 
dining room. I mean, that's an, I, I've been But that's working. a room I don't like to be in in the daytime. You can't be in there in the daytime. I can't be in the daytime. Nighttime is perfect. Yeah. It's perfect at When night. it's softer. Diana Rillian's another. I've been working on um, this year. A book is coming out of her quotes that I've illustrated. That's oh. an, been another really fun project to work on. What house is publishing it? Uh, Rizzoli. Rizzoli. Oh, how terrific. So it's a book of, it's a book of her. I mean, they've published a, a few books on her, but th- this one is a sort of small format kind of a book of her quotes mm-hmm. um, edited by her grandson, Alexander Freeland. So we and I have done the drawings for it, which has been really fun. So it's all just aphorisms and and why don't you? Exactly. I don't know if there that. are any of the why don't you, but but all of her incredible, you know, incredible sayings. So that was really fun to illustrate because, you know, they're so outrageous. I drew the apartment as well, the sort of Billy Baldwin um, room in hell. But but yeah, that comes out in sort of April. Mm-hmm springtime at some point. That was an amazing apartment. I was only ever Wonderful. in it once after, really after she died and it was like, you know, Mount Olympus. You know, it was so just fabulous. Sort of walking in and seeing again all those patterns, the florals and the stripes and the funny rattan chairs. But it just worked like they were for camping or picnics sitting around and yeah. it was terrific. And then the bedroom, it was the same fabric, only in blue. Yes. Which was pretty great. And it was a Siri Mom bed. Amazing. Which was pretty fantastic. I wish I could have seen it. It was so fantastic. Yeah, I tried to stay there a long time um, until I really did have to leave and go back <laughs> to the office. But it was great fun. So so Hicks and Draper and Beaton and what other people who have had incredible interiors inspire you as well? Uh, definitely John Fowler and the mm-hmm. kind of English, the sort of classic English country house look. Um, has been very inspirational. Um, and then, you know, some American design as well. Billy Baldwin, I'm a huge right. fan of. You know, I, I love his whole thing of kind of simple cottons mixed with rattan and, you know, his brass mm-hmm. bookshelves that he designed. I suppose in contrast to English uh, armchairs and sofas, I guess sometimes, I loved I loved his sort of very tailored sort of furniture, you know, sofas, right. sofas that he, he did. So, yeah, definitely him. And uh, Madeleine Castellan as well, big fan of. Yeah, she's extraordinary. Yeah. Really extraordinary. I remember I, uh, when, after, after she, she died, I'm not like the angel of death going to every day's <laughs> house. I caused no harm. But going to Castellan's house in the countryside mm. after she had died, before it was auctioned, before the contents were auctioned. And oh, I, incredible. I did a, um, an article about it. But wandering over that house was not only amazing, but then you left it thinking, yes, you know, plastic ferns are not a bad element to have in a room, which I loved. And then her granddaughter saying the reason she liked plastic plants is because they didn't depress her by dying. Oh, perfect. So I, I, I thought that. I could totally understand that. I can kind of, yeah, I mean, I've had a bit of a 180 on plastic plants and flowers <laughs> too as well. I think actually there's nothing wrong with it. But I, yeah, I love, I mean, those rooms, so romantic. Romantic. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's the thing I know that it is a thread through your work is uh, a sense of romance. Mm. Yeah, of course. And th- that's an- another word I often use is, is romance. And I think, you know, all the, all the kind of people that I look at, um, that's kind of going through their work as well. Berard, Christian Berard mm-hmm. is another big inspiration. And, you know, Oliver Messel, there's there's always that kind of sense of romance. And, yeah. and I think in a funny way, that's what, in terms of a mass appeal, mm. I think the romance, becoming romanced by a room, becoming romanced by designs is something that, scares a lot of people mm. I and mean, i think that's why you get monochrome rooms because you cannot possibly fall in love with a beige covered sofa you just can't yeah exactly you know but, it takes but, the emotion but, out of it exactly and so it's it's safe it's it's yeah. it's, it's like having a romance and you you never kiss yeah exactly you know i mean that's sort of 
fascinating to me, the idea that um, you really have to live in, a, you have to give in to being seduced by the room. Yeah. Which is, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably what you'd feel in, in, your, in that dining reading room, for example. Mm-hmm. Such, you know, and uh, that a real emotion as well, like I think. And that's what I also was thinking about the other day is interesting is, you know, love classicism, but, um, but actually it's very kind of the opposite of romanticism in a way. Right. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then classicism is all about sort of order. And, whereas actually I also love sort of the Baroque and Rococo and, and right. you know, that kind, of, that kind of thing. I love English Baroque architecture. It's like one of my favorite obsessions. Fab. We're having a bit of a Rococo uh, moment we've um, because we, we moved to the country, half moved to the country last year. And one of our sort of additions recently was a Rococo grotto chair. You know, the kind of, um, it has sort of dolphins for legs. Right. Big shell back in, in kind of gilt wood. It was in our, in our sitting room in the country, but nobody's allowed to sit on it. So we were, um, someone, our friend said they were going to bring a thistle next time to put on it to stop people, <laughs> stop people sitting on it. Well, Luke Edward Hall, thank you very much for um, being on the program today and talking about your career and your interests and things that you've become romanced by. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. The Aesthete is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wurtzman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com. <laughs>